Hello and welcome once again to another Coffee and Heroes podcast as we endeavour to continue with our reviews and get caught up to date on our pull lists. We are going to be going with reviews today from the 12th of January going back in time, but we are determined to play full catch up because there are some great titles we're going to be talking about. So thank you for joining us. As always, your host is Alan, owner of Coffee and Heroes, a comic book store in Belfast, Northern Ireland. And as usual, I'm joined by my cohort, Keith. Good evening. How are you, sir? I am good. You, you really play it down, Alan. A comic book store in, in Belfast, Northern Ireland is the comic book store in Belfast, Northern Ireland. I mean, it's my job to say that, I suppose, rather than yours, because that would be like self, you know, self-praise being no praise. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. You know, we, we obviously endeavour to make the store as great as we can. And, you know, we're very, very, very proud of it. But uh, no, I'll leave it to other people to, you know, blow smoke uh, up my tushy rather than uh, <laughs> rather than doing it myself. But yeah, I mean, the, the the great thing about, for me anyway, the great thing about the store is we're all about the reading. We're all about the comics. There's merch in the store. There's comic grading services. There's whatever else. But first and foremost, we're a store built for reading, built for new readers. And therefore, that's why we want to we catch up in these review shows. You know, we want to get the word out on titles that we're enjoying. You know, there's a lot of indie stuff that we certainly highlight and people always seem appreciative of. So, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a comic book store first before anything else. Everything else is just noise. But, you know, we're, we're all about the reading. Yeah, and I mean, with regard to the pod, uh, I mean, we could make this easy in ourselves, you know, and, and just do your pick of the weeks, you know, and, and get it all out, you know, in one in one session. But... There's so much good stuff that we would fail to talk about if that was the case. And just the passion's too much, really, to, to allow us to do that, I think. I think so. I think so. And it's always great chatting about these things. The only the only drawback I find when we do this with stuff from a few months ago, you sort of go, I'd like to go back and read that. And then you look at your pile for this week and go, not sure I have the time for that. Uh, I mean, I am doing pretty well, obviously, since, since sort of November nearly or, or, or Christmas. I have been well behind uh but uh, i picked up my pull list today today being uh, thursday the 17th of march happy st patrick's day to you sir indeed cheers um cheers indeed uh but <clears throat> i picked up my pull list today and i only have like five books left on last week's pull list so i think uh, give me a few days and i will be i'll be up to date impressive impressive and give us a few weeks dear listener and we promise we'll be up to date so uh as i said in the intro we're going to be looking at titles today from the 12th of january so by this point the new year has started again titles are starting to flow a bit more so it's a it's a relatively big pull list for us both this week we seem to be neck and neck but our our ratios are slightly different so for for me this week it was 24 titles in total uh, that was an even split between DC and Marvel with six for each, uh, but uh, double the amount of indie. I had 12 indie, which is basically the same amount as DC and Marvel combined. Like, indie just keeps raising the charts for me. How about yourself? Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, as you say, 24, 24 titles. I was neck and neck. DC and indie, I had seven each with 10 Marvel, but... <laughs> You know, the quality shows because uh, a vast portion of my, my, my quick picks uh, and, and, and such are, uh, are, are indie titles. Interesting, interesting. I mean, it, it's a really interesting one for me actually this week because everything that I've got in my honorable mentions and even my pick of the week. Are you ready for this, dear listener? There's not one DC title. Wow. But in fairness, your pick of the week is something I really enjoyed. So I'll have something to say. We're all good. 
But yeah, a bit of an emphasis on indie for me, certainly, but a couple of Marvel titles crept in as well. So kick things off with one for myself, and it's a title I've mentioned before. So of course, an indie title, first of all. It's volume two of a title I've really, really enjoyed, and it's a title called Hotel. Now that's Hotel with two L's at the end. And uh, it's volume two, issue two. So this is written by John Lee's Scottish writer I'm a big fan of. And the artist is Dalibor Talahitch. Uh, AWA Studios title for this, of course. Uh, again, another publisher that we both really enjoy. Very genre-defined pieces. When it comes to Hotel, uh, the, the basis of this issue is it's a character we're introduced to called Lucy. And it's her big night. You know, It's the night when she becomes a member of the Roaring 66 biker gang. You know, but there's a decisive moment brought up where Lucy has to kill someone. She stares into the eyes of death, but she turns and runs. She can't bring herself to do it. So she seeks shelter from the vengeance of her former friends. And where else could she go out in the highway? But the Pierre Courts Hotel, which is the eponymous hotel of the title. So for me, this continues to be one of the best horror titles on the racks. You know, it's it's very unique in that it's both an anthology tale and that it deals with different characters and different stories each issue. But it's ongoing in that the hotel itself is the main character and the place at which all the storylines converge. I'm a big fan of the art. You know, Dalibor Talahitch, great, great artist. The art in this continues to be gruesome and filled with dread. And, and Lee's keeps the tension high. He's a big horror fan, so he knows how to push all the right buttons. And there's good human stakes in the, in the book, but also supernatural going on. So, yeah, as I say, another top-notch and consistently great title from AWA Studios. We, we talk about them all the time, you know. Mm genre pieces great talent involved they they do this great ten dollar price point for their graphic novel collections and uh with hotel we endeavor to keep the volume one in store at all times so that so that when you're ready to check into the period courts hotel that you will not be disappointed so <laughs> if you want to drive there in the chariot uh, which was one of their other fantastic series then i would really recommend picking that one up too yeah you will you will face no resistance you may even go <laughs> hey. to the hotel to have a casual fling who knows yes or to find your redemption <laughs> we are on form tonight you can tell so that's my first pick of uh, the week for 12th of january that's hotel volume two number two so i know it's not one that you're on i know you're not a, a huge horror guy but i know you might pick this up down the line certainly trade-wise yeah, perhaps maybe you, you've talked about it uh, often and uh, and with 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 great gusto. So uh, so possibly, yeah, absolutely. My uh, my first pick of the week for uh, for the twelfth of January is what's the furthest place from here? Number three. It's another amazing issue of this completely offbeat comic book by Matthew Rosenberg and Tyler Boss, and it's certainly one of the most interesting and well put together books I think on the market at the moment. I mean, I look forward to picking up every sort of double sized issue. And exploring this foreboding future with the the kids of the academy, the uh, the creators uh, continue to flesh out this post apocalyptic world, nominally one without adults, which makes the old people that they meet in this issue particularly strange. Uh, where gangs of young people adhere to their own kind of religion, the, the academy, for example, worship a particular LP of their choosing, a particular vinyl of their choosing. Their residence being in a record shop. And, and the associated sort of microculture around that. The dialogue by Rosenberg is witty. The art is great. It's minimal, clean, yet really expressive with regard to the characters. And the words totally compelling. Highlight being the scene where two key members of the large and expanding cast, Prefock and Mallory, to the Academy kids, discover a room full of monitors and a VCR, and they don't have a clue how to use it or what it's for. <laughs> so that 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 particularly was a was a was a was a lovely moment for 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 a 
a, a gentleman of my age. Um, the art and the writing combined to create one hell of a book. And you know, one you know, the writing matches perfectly with the art, and uh, you know, to create to create the unique tone that really sells this book. It's it's fantastic stuff. Three issues in. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan of this as well. This is a great creative team. They did a book a few years back called Four Kids Walk Into a Bank that was absolutely fantastic. So Rosenberg and Boss work together quite consistently and they always pull up good stuff. I mean, I love the idea that, you know, you have kids who've no idea what a VCR is, um, because videos have never been cool. Whereas vinyl is cool, so they're absolutely fine with, you know, negotiating. Yeah, but the interesting the interesting thing is they have these vinyls but they never play them. <laughs> You never hear them. They just they, they they have these things and they they worship that they are their gods. Each one has a personal god, uh, which is the vinyl, you know. And uh, it's kind of it's real. And they choose that vinyl whenever they come of age. Um, it's really it's really interesting, you know. Um, Seems to be yeah. a bit of an ongoing as well. What's the furthest place from here? Because I thought it was going to be a five slash six issue mini, but it's solicited as far as issue seven for May, I believe. So it's right. obviously a tale that's got legs, and as long as the quality continues, we will certainly not complain. So we move from the realm of indie and over to the world of Marvel for my next uh, honourable mention. Uh, for me, there was a brand new number one this week that uh, that hit home, uh, hit really well for me, called Daredevil Woman Without Fear number one. So chuck up your bingo cards first mention of chips at Orska in the pod this week uh, <laughs> writing of course art is by Raphael de la Tour now I mean it's no secret how much of a fan I am of <clears throat> or both of us are of both chips at Orsky titles in general and and in particular what he's doing in Devil's Reign you know I've been chatting a lot about that title we've chatted about it in the pod many times and we chat about it in the store as well a lot so seeing a three issue mini series that was tying into these events as well as being a more focused examination of Elektra and her new role as Daredevil got me really, really excited. So add in some great art from the always wonderful Raphael de la Tour, and you've got a title very much worthy of being picked up. So for a first issue, I mean, it's only three issues, so you know you're going to have to pack an awful lot in. And true to form, first issue, there's a lot going on here. You know, Chip, for me anyway, has always been great at exploring a character's past through their actions in the present. And in this one issue alone, we get great confrontations with Kingpin. We get an insight into her long-standing tortured love affair with Matt Murdock. And even a plot thread stemming from her time with The Hand as well. And obviously you're packing a lot in. There's lots of exposition. There's lots of dialogue. But there's still great energy and momentum to the issue. And it, it can be quite a quick read. Although I'd, I'd really recommend taking your time just drinking that, that artwork. You know, at times it's dark and gritty. At other times it's playful and quite alluring. And it's also served well by the actions that Orsky puts into the issue. You know, with this only being a three-issue mini-series and this being a new status quo for Elektra, that that had me slightly worried because we're obviously going to be getting a new Daredevil number one from Sadarsky and Chichetto. I believe it's in this month's previews that just dropped today, so it's going to be around June time. And that'll be when they've finished up in Devil's Reign. And no doubt that Daredevil will focus more on Matt, but I really hope they find a place for this incarnation of Elektra because... It's really, really interesting. You know, she's torn, always torn between being, you know, a highly skilled assassin, but also a superhero who, you know, must set an example because of, you know, this this guy who just gets under her skin at all times, this preacher choir boy, you know. But yeah, for me, I mean, these may be slightly big words, but what they're doing with Electra now, I think this might be the best representation of this character, you know, pretty much put to paper. She can be a little paper thin in the past, you know, just you know, well-trained assassin, you know, will never march to Matt's 
drumbeat, if you will. But I think this is a really, really interesting representation. So, fingers crossed, this is a title that goes somewhere, not just three and done. Uh, I think they're uh, they're doing something very clever with the art here. Uh, it sort of mirrors John Amita Jr.'s art on Daredevil, Man Without Fear, which was the obviously Frank Miller's uh, Daredevil, mm-hmm. um, uh, which featured sort of the was that the first appearance of Elektra? Uh, so with you know the way they're the way they're they're drawn her and whatnot, with all the hair everywhere and whatnot, really is reminiscent of of how Romita drew yeah. her back then. So. Yeah, great nods to the past, but you know, very much setting up exciting things for the future, I think, for the character. So, again, I, I just really hope they stick with this. I mean, in, in comics, characters come and go and move, change personalities so fast at times. Different creative teams come on, whatever. But I think where Elektra is in the position in sort of the Daredevil world at the moment is just really, really interesting. So, yeah, definitely worth picking up, or if you're a bit late to the party, trade won't be far away. And uh, it's interesting whenever you, you reflect on this, having uh, seen the new Punisher book, uh, you know, I guess Frank is sort of occupying the role that maybe Electra once occupied. So where does she go? Mm, interesting tie indeed. And I'm sure we'll be chatting Punisher on an upcoming pod when we finally get caught up. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, Daredevil one without fear at number one. So what's next up for yourself? Uh, I've got Daisy number two, which is the second of five issues of this unique biblical horror from Dark Horse by uh, by native of uh, Larne, local 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 town here in Northern Ireland, uh, Colin Lorimer, uh, and it continues apace. This issue breaks free a little from the the Book of Enoch lore of last issue in order to concentrate on the core narrative. Now that we've uh, been familiarised with the the creepy biblical backstory. Uh, we kick off with the resurrection of Lindsay. Lindsay's the private investigator searching for her son, uh, our protagonist here, and she's been resurrected by the power of Daisy, the uh, the giant uh, mis- misshapen 17-year-old uh, girl in, the, in this backwater town. We learn that Lindsay's son is alive and she herself has a role to play in what's to come. As the plot develops, we learn that father uh, is corrupting the children, children chosen to be conduits or vessels by the ancient spirits of the Nephilim, uh, hence deforming them. The lore to Daisy's background continues and she, as she informs us that the, the Nephilim are, uh, are offspring of angels and humans becoming cannibalistic creatures that ravage the land before becoming cursed. Uh, on the other hand, Father intends to harness some strange power to revive his lost angelic brother and Daisy wants to stop him. Um, so it's it's fairly convoluted um, but very, very cool. And the art is also by by Colin Lorimer, and it ramps up the horror aspect this issue as the mystery deepens. Definitely, definitely really keen to see what's coming with this. First issue was phenomenal. Yeah, this has been really, really strong so far in general, and similar to what I was saying there about Daredevil, One Woman Without Fear, it is packing a lot. It's throwing a lot of information at you. Mm-hmm. I think you you do have to pay attention to it. This is not a breezy read of a title. Like a, <laughs> I know that after issue one, you said you went off and started doing a bit of research, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a little, little, little I mean, research in the loosest possible terms. I did a bit of Googling, um, you know, about the Book of Enoch and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. So uh, really interesting stuff, really. I mean, the, the Bible is nuts. Like, and the, the parts of the Bible that aren't in the Bible are nuts as well. So you're saying it's a great work of fiction is what you're saying? <laughs> it's a great work of fiction. <laughs> Well, if you're still with us after I just made that comment, uh, we'll move, we'll move away from one number two and over to another. And and again, I'm sticking with uh, the House of Ideas, so I'm sticking with Marvel for my next one, and it is King Conan number two. So, 
you know, this is the team of Jason Aaron writing and Mahmoud Azrar on art. And, you know, it's always a good week, I think, when any Jason Aaron penned Mahmoud Azrar drawn issue of Conan drops, you know. Regular listeners, they'll, they'll certainly know it was a mixture of yourself and Roddy who led me into this world of swords, sandals and sorcery. And, you know, I'm very much a full convert now. So with this seemingly being this creative team swan song from the character, you knew the stakes would be high and they'd want to go out with a bang and damn it, they're definitely living up the expectations so far. <laughs> you know, I was I was like it when any issue picks up directly from a previous issue's cliffhanger. You know, it, it doesn't feel any to set a scene or show us something from the past to help us better understand the present. And that's exactly what we're treated to here as Conan faces an army of the undead. You know, and, and Azar gets to delve into his box of gruesome and beautifully drawn tricks to, to depict a Conan who not only is a match for the oncoming horde, but is actually having fun doing so. It's sort of reawakening something in himself. But delving straight in, it gives the story so much more flow, I think, instead of feeling a little bit fractured sometimes in individual issues. But by the same token, that's not to say that this issue is a straight line, you know, nor does it need to be. You know, we we do get flashbacks to some of Conan's regretful actions over the course of his life, such as how he treated his son, Prince Khan, and how their relationship deteriorated. And there's flashbacks to many moments which Conan himself considers his best years, with plenty of battles fought, drinks enjoyed, and, and women bedded. But it's just really interesting, you know, it's, it's it's true of any story where someone's facing their mortality, you know, with with the world moving on and Conan is no longer the necessary force of nature that he needed to be in the past. You know, I it really made me think, this is probably the weirdest connection ever, but it really made me think of Die Hard. You know, to paraphrase the great Hans Gruber, when Alexander saw the breath of his domain, he wept for there were no more worlds left to conquer, you know. <laughs> what use is a battle hardened conquer if there's nothing left to, to conquer at this point? What What is his purpose? So it's always exploring that, which is really interesting as well. So, yeah, just stellar opening two issues, I think, from this team. But then again, what else yeah. would we expect? Yeah, and I think the, the father-son dynamic's interesting. It's sort of, it's nearly highlighting, you know, the, the generational unease that we're seeing today you know where you know maybe you know older people maybe even people of our generation are 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 seeing younger people as sort of coddled and sort of soft you know that sort of thing you know the sort Mm -hmm. of to to paraphrase to use a horrible a horrible term you know the snowflake generation you know that that uh, conan is concerned that his son has never had to prove himself that he's He's grown up, you know, in this kingdom that Conan established, and he's never, you know, grown up protected. Had, yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, you know, the, you you balance that against the idea that you always want better, a better life for your children than you had, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, you know, I suppose you go back to the Conan movie: what is best in life? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's a really interesting, really interesting dichotomy. But yeah, fantastic first two issues. Yeah, as I say, it's you, you get the feeling that once you hit the, the Keen part of, you know, a Jason Aaron book, you know, he did it with Thor, with Keen Thor, you you do get the feeling this is a swan song, so it's no surprise yeah. that it's so, so great. So, yeah, King Conan 2, my latest uh, honourable mention. What's next up for yourself? I'm swinging in for a third dig into the uh, the independent pit uh, with Department of Truth number 15. And in this issue, James IV presents us with another flashback story. Uh, in earlier issues, we learned that the department had attempted to create their own topa, a topa being a, a creature or a, a being created by belief. Uh, and of course, we know the central conceit of Department of Truth is that, you know, uh, 
a groundswell and belief of the public will will change reality. So the, the the department attempted to sway the belief of the public in order to create their own tulpa in the 60s, leading to deaths. And now, now, now Tinian reveals the details of that disastrous mission and reveals the true origin of the Mothman. Mothman, I don't know if you're familiar with, very creepy piece of modern american folklore uh you may have seen the mothman prophecies back I in the day i did i didn't that was richard gear movie wasn't it yeah uh but the the art and this is absolutely gorgeous by guest artist uh, david romero and this issue tinian tries something different with the story's format as he as he does and these we you know different artists drop in you know uh flashback issues you know instead of presenting it as a straightforward prose narrative you know he presents it as a as a confidential dossier, uh, given you know, given that the series is about a secret government agency, you know, it's a really cool choice, and that you know we see the downfall of of Lee Harvey Oswald the, and Doc Hines' plan is that they were not specific enough in seeding the rumours of strange flying objects. This allowed believers, and as I say, if you think about the the, the core concept, the Department of Truth, you know, mass belief, you know conforming to the mass belief, reality conforming to the mass belief of the populace, mm -hmm. you know, so they were looking to create strange flying objects, but they weren't specific enough and it allowed the, the populace to add their own interpretations. And instead of alien spacecraft, which is what they wanted, they wanted a, an alien ship. The idea morphed into a Mothman creature. And there's just so much cool stuff in here, both the meta, such as the reference that the Batman TV show of the 60s shaped the Mothman topa, you know what I mean? People were watching, were watching, you know, Batman, Batman sixty six, and were that they that fed into it, and the narrative, you know, where where Doc Hines, the young Doc Hines, becomes part of the Mothman narrative when the locals don't trust him as he's trying to seed stuff, and that leads to the idea of Men in Black, and and then the appearance of the the chillingly mysterious Indrid Cold, whoever the hell he is, and the continuing suspicion around Lee Harvey Oswald whether he himself may be a Topa. Uh, you know, uh, and there's something wrong with him, and he disappeared soon after this, only to reappear later to become the director of the Department of Truth. It continues to be phenomenal stuff, and it has both reawakened and scratches my long dormant X Files itch uh, while continuing the overarching conspiracy, whilst also poking fun at modern day popularity of conspiracy theories and believing what you want regardless of reality. Really cool stuff. Really cool stuff. See, we really need to get you in the Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks, the latest season, really highly goes into the idea of tulpas and the ideas of duality and all this kind of stuff. Like this is what this issue reminds me of quite substantially. Right, um, right. So I mean, yeah, I've I've got the box set, the, the original Twin Peaks box mm -hmm. set, and Fire Walk with me sitting here. I, I I watched bits and pieces of them back in the day whenever they were super popular. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I I, I definitely should get around to it yeah a lot of the ideas have certainly carried over and they're just well worth exploring again and yeah just you you talk your excitement coming through at all these sort of uh themes being set up it just yeah it makes me think you'd really really enjoy twin peaks but yeah i mean department of truth it, it shows no signs of slowing down it's just consistently interesting consistently yeah. consistently playful with a comic format as well as you say how certain mm. issues are presented and and that kind of thing. So I remember what was it? The Bigfoot issue was sort of like yes. long letters with little sketches in between. And uh -huh. you know, Tinian's very, very playful with Department of Truth. And yeah, and and each issue, I don't know if it's necessarily a title, and I may be proven wrong in time, but I don't think it's a an, a series that necessarily would benefit from having it all at the same time. 
I think it works well as individual pieces because each issue is mm-hmm. sort of a one and done anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So it's as long as you as long as you keep in mind that core concept. Yeah. You know what I mean? That you know about belief shaping reality and 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 these guys trying to keep reality on the. You know, if indeed that is what they're doing on the straight and narrow. Um, this is true. This is true. Yeah. So Trust yeah. no one, as Fox Mulder often said. <laughs> we all had that poster back in the day. <laughs> yeah, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so from Department of Truth number 15 to a new number one that hit this week. Well, I say a new number one, but it was actually the second print of a number one. But I thought it was definitely worth mentioning. It's a, it's a title called Animal Castle. So... It's from a team, uh, a writing team of Xavier Dorison and an artist, Felix Delep. And it was one of those issues that, that come along in indie comics that somehow generates a ton of hype. And then due to the criminally small print run becomes almost impossible to get in the secondary market. Thank goodness for second printings, you know. So this was indeed a second print I picked up this week, wanting to see what all the fuss was about. And the reason it's such a small print run is because Animal Castle is from Ablaze Comics. And it comes from two creators whose work I'm not too familiar with, but I'll definitely be keeping an eye on for future projects. You know, the basic synopsis for this is that humans have all but disappeared, you know, possibly through war or disease, though it's never made explicitly clear. And that animals have formed their own society. So, you know, initially they seem better off with no human overlords and complete freedom. But of course, as with anything, power is there to be seized and some animals are more ambitious than others and... You know, as you would expect, this is a tale that borrows very heavily from classics such as Animal Farm or Watership Down. And the balance between having sort of cute animals at the centre of your story while telling a story that bears substance is always tricky. But I feel the creators have got it just right here. So the main character in it is a character called Miss B. You know, she's at the centre of the story, a single mum cat who works hard to make ends meet and take care of her two young kittens at home. But even though she craves the quiet life, she cannot help but feel the need for protest and action against the tyrannical rule of President Silvio. Suffice to say, going forward, her life is about to change. There's very much a, a, a European flavour to this title, and that extends very much to the artwork. You know, it's expressive characters, different locations, variable moods and weather conditions. You know, it's all here to create the maximum amount of drama. And you may have heard me talk about it before, a title called Black Sad. The the art here really reminds me of that, you know, which of course also depicted an animal based society. So it's now three issues in and I, and I've kept up with it. I've been really, really enjoying it. I think it has the potential to be something really, really special and it can be hard getting those earlier issues now, as I say, even with second prints and so on and so forth. But this will be one definitely keep an eye out for when it hits trade and, and I'm gonna order quite heavily in this because I think this is a, a little sleeper title to to keep an eye out for. So yeah, Animal Castle number one. Thought it was Thought it was really, really good. Yeah, I didn't pick it up. I, uh, I maybe should have. Uh, I did, did flick through the first issue whenever uh, Roddy was in one of the days. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, I think it's a very much a Roddy title as well. Uh, oh, this screams Roddy title. <laughs> screams so, it. So uh, I'll, I'll look forward to to that trade. Uh, count me in. Um, we're uh, we're gonna gonna gonna. Is this the first title? No, no. We're swinging back towards Marvel. You hit King Conan. Uh, so I'm yeah, Daredevil swinging. Woman Without Fear. I'm, I'm all about the Marvel. You're, you're all over it. So I'm all about the Marvel. I'm swinging towards Marvel <laughs> for the first time this uh, this episode uh, with Star Wars number 20, which was another fun chapter in Luke Skywalker's continuing journey to become the young Jedi Knight, which we wind up eventually meeting in Star Wars Return of the Jedi. And it's great to see such a direct example of comics doing 
what film and TV just just can't do. Um, you know, the 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 bounds of of story and technology are just removed completely when it comes to comic books, and uh, and and this this does that so well. Story wise, the book is light on action and mostly it's mostly exposition as it leans on the interest and concept of an alien world to create a, a sense of awe and intrigue. Uh, Charles Soule steeps the world and Luke's discoveries in a bit of mystery that draws you in. There's also the fact that Luke learns about an older time, which should pique the interest of readers who are following along with the, the High Republic corner of the Star Wars universe. Um, Luke now has a stronger idea of what it means to be a Jedi than ever before, and armed with a, a new direction and knowledge, it's clear that he is well on his way to becoming the hero he's destined to be. But there's only one thing that he must do. He must confront Vader. So for Star Wars fan, you know, whether it be Fairweather or, or Died in the Wool, this is an issue that I think hit on all levels. Yeah, I'd love to give a bit of perspective on this. But as we know, Star Wars ain't my thing. Although that might change sometime soon. There is some, mm-hmm. some interesting looking ones on the horizon. But uh, yeah, 20 issues deep into this. I do always have the option of going back. Vicky does collect it and read it, so maybe I should yeah. have a, a Vicky guest corner on this uh, pod anytime you want to talk Star Wars. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's Star Wars 20. So that rounds off the honourable mentions. So, as always, we'll move on to picks of the week. So, I mean, as you may have noticed there, with, with honourable mentions, spoilers are always minimum. You know, we, we do keep them to a minimum there. But when it comes to pick of the weeks, the, the spoilers tend to be a bit heavier and specific plot points may be detailed. So unsurprisingly given my you know dominance of indie titles this week uh on the pull list it was an indie title it was pick of the week for me and it's uh a title to give it its full title it is joe hill's reign uh there's a brand new number one so this is written by david m boer uh from a story by joe hill and the artist on this is an artist called zoe thorogood and is that uh, david m boer of uh of canto fame of all new firefly fame who we interviewed uh some time ago that is indeed uh of, of this parish if you will of this parish quite so, so yeah i mean looking at this creative team i mean this was always going to you know be going towards the top of my pile upon release week and you know i'm delighted to say it lived up to my expectations you know to easily be pick of the week it's you know, I, I'm a sucker for unique end of the world stories. I mean, come on, my favorite series of all time is Why the Last Man, and <laughs> and Rain. It really feels like it's cut from the same cloth, although it will be a much more concentrated affair as it's only a five issue mini series as opposed to you know a lengthy ongoing as as Why was. So with Rain, we have a really unique looking book from the get go. I mean, definitely a rising star in the industry. Zoe Thorogood, who made a splash with the impending blindness of Billy Scott which is a masterpiece, by the way, and a title I got fresh copies of in this very day, uh, is on top form here. You know, we're at once presented with a word we recognize, but, you know, she she has an art style that has its own sort of whimsical aesthetic to it as well. So the story kicks off in the most human way possible. You know, a charming scene detailing the loving relationship between two women, which is one called Honeysuckle, clearly her parents were hippies, and Yolanda, and we get insights into the relationship, how it made them both happy, how their retrospective parents dealt with it, which was very differently, and how some ultimately accepted it better than others. So at the start of the story, Yolanda is being driven to meet Honeysuckle at their new home. You know, the promise of a happy future together yet to be yet to be written. So, so far, so slice of life. Um, we're introduced to other interesting characters who live on the same street. You know, there's a young child who pretends to be a vampire. There's a Russian stripper. 
you know, these are not just incidental characters and we know their story will also be told at some point and it helps flesh out the world and build out the world of the first issue. <coughs> so, you know, David M. Bory, he builds these characters well through the dialogue and actions. Obviously, he had to streamline down a lot from what was an original novella and combined with Thorgood's artwork creates what feels like a living, breathing world. But here's the but. This is adapted from a Joe Hill book, so we all know that blue sky is going to darken before too long. <laughs> and when it does, it does so with a vengeance. So, you know, Joe Hill's always great, you know, just like his father, of course, uh, simply making a realistic situation become terrifying by just changing one detail. And in this case, it's the rain and what falls down from the sky along with it that threatens the future of not just our budding romance, but of the entire world. But what caused it? You know, what caused this change? We're not interested at this point and there's no answers presented to you. That's really not what issue one's about. It's it's about defining relationships and creating characters that we care about and worry about throughout the series. And from this point of view, it succeeds wonderfully. I mean, we're heavily invested by the end of issue one and the action in the issue takes place over maybe 10 to 15 minutes of an afternoon. A special mention, of course, almost or also must go as well to one of the busiest men in comics, Colors, Chris O'Halloran, who is able to definitely balance the colors and warmth of a promising future with the, the darkness and bleakness of reality. You know, his his colors really do bring the best out of Thorogood's artwork, and they're a heck of a killer team. And as soon as I'd finished issue one, I was crying out for issue two, you know, and in other words, this issue was a, a resounding success, and I'm in it for the duration, so... Yeah, damn end of the world stories always sucker me in. Absolutely. So, yeah, brilliant book. Uh, as far as issue three now, so in just the same way that we may repeat certain titles down the line, expect to hear more about this in upcoming episodes. So, yeah, Joe Hills are in number one, my pick of the week for the 12th of January. So Interesting. So do pray tell, what is your pick of the week to finish us off? Well, for the first time this week, I am dipping into the DC pond for my pick of the week um, for Robin and Batman number three. And this is a series that came out of nowhere for me. And that I came to late. Uh, I acquired all three issues in the same week, thanks to my awesome local comic book store. And put simply, this is one of the best stories featuring Batman in quite a long time. Um, that said, the focus of this brilliant three issue by Jeff Lemire and Dustin Nguyen is the original Boy Wonder, the one and only Dick Grayson. And his coming of age as the first Robin, a role which he defined for all those who came afterwards. Um, just a quick overview. Uh, in issue one, Dick is the cocky, determined youth with something to prove. He doesn't know or care about his limits. It's only Go for it. So just a quick overview. In issue one, uh, Dick is the cocky, determined youth with something to prove. He doesn't know or care about his limits. His only focus is to make Bruce proud and show that he's ready in every respect. In issue two, the reality of being a soldier in Batman's war lands on Dick like a ton of bricks. Self-doubt and uncertainty permeate every scene while the connective thread of the terrifyingly rendered Killer Croc's vendetta against the Graysons becomes clear. And then here in issue three, the boy wonder grows up. You can see it happening before your eyes when Croc, intent on repaying an old grudge from his time in Haley Circus, takes Batman, provoking Dick to set out to save his mentor, his father figure, his friend from certain death. Jeff Lemire presents us with a, a young Dick Grayson at a crossroads as his path as a vigilante, more like his mentor. Or could he establish his own unique path? 
for Batman Robin fans, Lemire pays off that question in such a satisfying way that honors the legacy of those two icons. And by the end, Dick is a little wiser, a little more sure of himself while still being just a kid. And it's it's this kind of character growth that makes this three-part series one of the best Bat titles that DC has put out in a long, long, long time. Series begs, I think, for a sequel story focusing on Dick's early days in the Teen Titans, but unfortunately Jeff Lemire has gone and taken an exclusive contract with Image Comics, which precludes him from writing any such story for the foreseeable future. Doesn't mean that Dustin Union couldn't be paired with another talented writer to put out such a series. Well, if Jeff Lemire's going to go out, this is not a bad way to go out. Let's look at it that way. I mean, yeah, this was a, this was a book I picked up from the start and obviously recommended to you, you knowing you were a, a, obviously such a big Dick Grayson fan. And we talked about it before. You just very rarely get stories these days where Dick Grayson is Robin because Nightwing is such an established character, such a popular character. They very rarely tell stories now in the past where you had a young Dick Grayson. I mean, the last notable one i can probably remember was uh, dark victory from jeff loeb and tim sale a sequel Ooh. to long halloween so so this was just a, a, re- a real pleasure to read and i've always been a fan of dustin wayne's art style that watercolor painted style um mm-hmm. and yep. yeah i think the relationship between bruce and dick and this is really well explored and just an alfred being the voice of reason in between them and so forth there's yep. just yeah there's so much to enjoy in this series. And as you say, it was only three issues, but they were three oversized uh, yes, square bound issues. Yeah. So I think you got plenty, plenty for your buck, so to speak. So yeah, I'm really glad you enjoyed it. Anytime, you know, it's, it's the same when you recommend anything to anybody, you know, you always want them to enjoy it. You know, you think they will, but you still mm. like to get that, uh, that confirmation. And um, thank you for going to the trouble of uh, acquiring it for me um, at that late stage. It's what we do. <laughs> So, yeah, Robin and Batman 3, Keith's Pick of the Week for the 12th of January. So that is going to wrap up this episode, which, uh, as I said, took you through all the 12th of January releases. We are going to be back very, very soon, and we are going to then tackle the releases from the 19th of January. So make sure to find that elsewhere on our podcast network. So hope you guys enjoyed this as ever. Again, if anything you may have missed along the way or anything that sounds good to you, get in touch with you and we'll always advise you the best way to pick up these titles whether they're out by graphic novel collection by now or the singles are the way to go so as ever thanks for listening and uh we'll look forward to you joining us again soon so i've been alan taylor and this has been keith miller you can find alan in store at coffee and heroes and on twitter where alan is at coffee and heroes one and i'm a scanny son zero zero coffee and heroes is a local comic book shop coffee shop and community hub in northern ireland based at Smithfield Market in the centre of Belfast. You can find Coffee and Heroes on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or email us at coffeeandheroes at hotmail.com. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel as well. The Coffee and Heroes podcast is available on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts and through all good podcast platforms. Please like and subscribe and leave a review so more people can find us. And until next time, happy reading and hope to see you in store.